0: I am so delighted you are here today. Isn't it wonderful to make deliberate choices like this to fill our minds, fill our consciousness with messages, with ideas, with concepts that are inspiring and uplifting and are really capable of shifting us into a better place. When you make that kind of a choice, it's a powerful affirmation that you matter, your awareness matters, And that your priorities are taking yourself to elevated states of consciousness. So I'm so glad you're here. And I always encourage you to listen with not just a sense of being inspired by our topics and our guests, but also take notes and apply these lessons in your life. Think about how I will turn this piece of wisdom into action in my life. So please listen and take notes and see how you can apply these things in your life. Take those nuggets, those pearls of wisdom, and find out how to make them real and apply them for your own well-being. My guest today is Dr. Stephen Eisenstadt. He is the founder of the pioneering institution Pacifica Graduate Institute, also the founder of DreamTending and the Academy of Imagination. For more than 35 years, he has explored the power of dreams through depth psychology. He has collaborated with many leading lights like Joseph Campbell, Marion Woodman, Robert Johnson, and James Hillman. He conducts dream work and imagination seminars worldwide. And one of his books is called The Imagination Matrix, how to access the greatest power you have for creativity, connection, and purpose. Steve, it's wonderful to have you here. Thanks for being with us.
1: Uh, You're so welcome. It's great to be here and great to be with you
0: all. So just lead us into a, a brief understanding of what brought you into this whole field of personal growth and then depth psychology. What you found were the motivating experiences in your life that took you in this direction.
1: Okay. Well, we can go back in time, actually, where it all started. I guess.
0: Why not? Big bang.
1: I mean, well, let's go for the whole thing. Yeah. Because it's so applicable, actually, and it's so true. I invite, as you shared with your listeners and people that are watching, to just reflect. I'll share my story and think of the stories that really have followed you through your life that have been so influential. Who would have known at the time, right? You never know. You read the book backwards and you go oh whoa that was a pivotal point for me it happened quite early as a child i was always very imaginal. i mean i was very you know into playing in the backyard i was watching little things that were little creatures that were scurrying all about and so on we had a small little house in a suburban area right outside of los angeles and we would drive my parents would take us i was about 10 or 11 maybe and over the hill over to Panga Canyon for those of you who know that area. It's just a, a little hillside, and then over to the ocean. And we would go to this beach it's called Zuma Beach, right? And it was at that beach that something really out of the ordinary happened. And I think it really was the beginning of something that really launched my interest, without me knowing it at that point, fully not really, because at Zuma Beach it was a you know a family beach, a big public beach. The lifeguard stands were out, all situated you know one after the next. Big parking lots, food, big signs on all the different (laughs) places where you could purchase things to eat. So very family oriented. And to the south, there was a jetty that went out into the ocean, right. And this rock jetty, you were to stay on this side of the beach where all the lifeguard stands were, but not to go on the other side because that was, you know, a wilderness beach. There was nobody there, truly. And you know, we were said we were told, you know, kind of stay around here so we can watch and so on. Well, you know, I've always been curious, and to this day, and even the new work in the Imagination Matrix, following curiosity, it's the key to so much in life, to evoke, then follow, engage curiosity. Well, I was curious. The tide went out, (laughs) and there was a way to walk around that rock jetty, which I did. And a number of things happened there. You know, the first thing that happened, I noticed that there was something very special because there were tide pools. And you know, when there's tide pools at an ocean place, all kinds of things are swimming about and oh my goodness and the the coral and oh it was beautiful and just glimmering in the sunlight next thing to happen is that as I was sitting and watching I listened and I thought hmm this is so amazing it's so alive here actually a third thing happened that I don't usually share but why not right I was noticing something very different the three or four or five people that were there were different than the people on the other side they had very few clothes on, you know what I'm saying? So it was a very natural beach place, you know. And it was like, Whoa, okay, <laughs> that's different. I I'm sitting there and I'm looking out to sea. And I hear something and I hear a voice. And this voice said out loud, Do you know that rocks can talk? Whoa. Do you know that rocks can talk? I couldn't believe it. I mean Frankly, I always imagined that to be so. I did. I've always thought that rocks can talk and I had conversations with trees and all kinds of things, but I did not know anybody else thought that, right? Um, and I looked around, and there he was. And for me, at that moment in time, it was as if God had appeared, which means mm-hmm. there was a, 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 a man, well, about 16 to 17 years old, but when you're 10, that's a God, you know, and a surfer and he said and that's who spoke those words did you know that rocks could talk and i must have sat on that rock for another 45 minutes to an hour just enamored with the idea that i was now in an imaginal landscape in a world where things were animated illuminated in the sun and with voice and possibility and oh and then what happened of course is i looked out and noticed the tide was coming in. Oh, <laughs> no, I mean, that was a, so I had, I scampered really. I got off that rock and scampered around the, the reef, the jetty and got to the other side with the lifeguard stands and this and that and the other, found where my parents were and my brother and sister. And of course my mom, first thing, where were you? I mean, we haven't seen you for a while. Okay, then what am I gonna say? Oh, well, I was in a place where rocks can talk. And the gods offer special messages, and, 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 (laughs) no, I just thought, oh, oh, I've just been walking about, is actually how I probably responded. Uh, That was the civilized part of the beach, right? The beach, the part that was familiar. But to this day, fast track way forward, right? In all the work that I've done, you know, the privilege I've had, you named a number of people that I was privileged to be very close to and collegial relationship at times and certainly friends with joseph campbell and a number of elders in the lineage of the depth psychological tradition where imagination is primary right where there's a real true valuing of dream dream life daydream and sleeping dream waking dream and night dream where things come to life the landscapes actually are animated and so on and so forth and I think that's what really, truly started the whole journey. You know, there's a lot that happened, like with all of us, with all of us. A lot happened along the way. Hard times, truly. Yeah. And times of great joy. Mm-hmm. Times of being in love. Times of feeling separate and rejected. All of that was part of a life that we all share in common, a life that we live that's filled with plexity. It's just that behind each of those moments, you know, I learned time and again in my own life and working with these extraordinary elders that behind those symptoms, those afflictions, those circumstances of life that bring joy and sometimes hurt and despair on occasion, that there's an imaginal landscape ever-present. So it's a long way of answering, but <laughs> you invited the story.
0: So. It was a beautiful way of answering. And what I'm thinking of is many different strands of research. One of them shows that most children and teenagers have transcendent experiences. Most children and teenagers have those experiences. And the second thing is, this was the study done, big study done by Andrew Greeley in the 1970s, is they had them and they feel like they can't tell anyone about them. There's Mm -hmm. their imaginal world and all kinds of wonderful things going on there. And there's no permission to integrate that world with the people on the other side of the beach. So (laughs) your your story itself is a a symbol, is a really good example of that progression of things. People are having these experiences. What Greedy found in that huge study in 1970 was that they aren't telling their priests, they aren't telling their teachers, they aren't telling their parents, they aren't telling their friends. And so we all keep on thinking that our side of the beach is the only side of the beach there is, because we aren't talking about (laughs) the other side of the beach. So you're giving all of us permission to both experience the other side of the beach and come talk about it. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, you're so
1: welcome. And it's so true, right? I mean, you know, at this stage in my life, now working with thousands of people and working in different communities, it is so extraordinary to be part of a community where like-minded others can at least share out loud this secret life (laughs) that we've all cherished and have really been part of. It is. It, and it makes a difference. The new book that I've written, The Imagination Matrix, starts right there, right there with the child's mind, right? Uh, not childishness, no, but with the child's mind, child's play, the capacity to be involved and engaged. Uh, another story comes from remembering with our daughter. Uh, when she was little, my wife and I were listening, right? And we could hear in the other room, there was, you know, conversation going on, there was interaction. There were things, you know, moving about in the room, and we thought for sure one of her friends or a couple of her friends were there for certain. You know, the hours go by. <laughs> Ultimately, hey, you know, it's meal time. Where we will we'll invite them all. You know, we knock on the door, open the door. You only can imagine. You know what happened, right? She was not with literal playmates. She was with her imaginal friends. You know, her imaginal playmates. Oh my goodness, how actual are they truly? And how they interact with us and evoke imagination and spark curiosity. And the takeaway for me with this in terms of health and well-being is that when we're in imagination, authentic imagination, and we'll differentiate in a in a few minutes, when we're in imagination, particularly in curiosity, you really cannot be curious and depressed or curious, authentically curious and anxious or agitated at the same time. The reciprocal inhibitors. So, you know, I've had decades of working as a clinical psychologist, marriage family therapist, and on and on it goes. And even when I'm dealing with pretty severe experiences, post traumatic stress, you know, and all kinds of things like that, to evoke curiosity, to re engage imagination is such a helpful, helpful, adjunctive approach to all the other important things that we do to really support people in those states of agitation, of isolating depression. The child's mind, just going back to what you're sharing, it's, it is magic, right? It is a truly a state of being in a way of being presence in imagination, the deep imagination that really has so much to offer.
0: Yeah. And of course, it's accessible to all of us. It's something that we know is there and we can actually, we'll get into this later on, actually elicit in our lives, elicit in our days and consciously bring into our not just our everyday worlds, but even our most challenging times. You mentioned psychological trauma and people being anxious. And there has been a series of studies showing that, uh, in the memorable words of, of one of the neuroscientists I talked to recently, she said that depression and spirituality are two sides of the same coin. We find people who are depressed often don't have much of a, a sense of life beyond their little local material reality. And those that have that sense of an expanded reality are rarely depressed. And if they do get depressed, they actually often use that depression for post-traumatic growth. It's really powerful to realize that this is a path out of that self-obsession, of the rumination, of the small worlds that we can box ourselves into, in which there's incessant, repetitive negative thinking, and all the things that do keep us small, and keep us stuck. So this is a, a gateway. A gateway to the beyond.
1: (laughs) It truly is. And I'm really pleased to hear you cite that work and cite that study. Because when we are in imagination, just as you're noticing again and again, we're meeting like my daughter did when she was young in child's play. There are figures that come forward. I mean, you know, it's not make-believe. Because we know when sleep comes, you know, and eyes are closed and dream comes forward. We're not alone in the dream dream often there are other figures there. yes i'm aware there's so many dreams that are difficult and nightmarish and those are the ones that we tend to remember but even those there are figures and landscapes and activities right locations there's remembrances of people that we've known and numbers of people that we've never met or creatures and animals we are part of a community of imaginal figures and that is so helpful in the world of today, because if we cultivate our relationships with these figures, even the ones that are difficult, which I can share ways of doing that, we then evolve an inner community, let's say family, really, truly, of figures that are can be very supportive and can companion us in the different particular circumstances of our life. And it's the difference that makes truly all the difference. I mean, in the new book, I really take the time to, if we're going to journey in the places, the realms, of imagination we need a couple things one we need the supportive figures right? we do we have to discover them cultivate a relationship with those figures we need support we need protection we need the sense of belonging to that quality of presence and two the figures that are so difficult you know the ones that are aggressive or punitive you know the invasive figures the figures that we really are for good reason frightened of the nightmarish the intolerable We need to figure out the ways to get out of feeling possessed or threatened by them into a different kind of relationship with them. And then what we discover and by working with some skills, we can what I name transmute. We can really work with those shadow images to first get them out of our system so that we're not controlled by or identified by or ah, gripped by their menacing presence. Get them from inside to outside with the support and protection of our really, you know, important soul companions, those figures. Yeah.
0: And yeah. I'd love to hear a story about a person you work with that went through that journey, of perhaps facing the shadow, facing difficult, threatening, or scary internal figures, and then was able to shift that and integrate that. Do you have a good example of a client you work with, a case you are aware of that where that was a transformative experience?
1: Yes, I do. I'll offer a case and then an example that's universal that we all can relate to because we mentioned Joe Campbell, so I'll cite an example from his work as well. Yeah, a person that I was, well, actually, there's a number of people I write about in the book, but let me just talk about somebody that, something that just happened like two weeks ago. I was working with this young woman, and she was very frightened, gripped, and it was an intrusive image, right? And she was in the upstairs, and you know, she was in a bedroom, already there's vulnerability and concern, and this intrusive figure was coming up the stair. Okay, that's scary. Of course, it can connect to early experiences that are tremendously traumatic and horrible. And two, it can relate to circumstances of the day when you're in a school situation and there's a bully of some sort that is forever you know aggressive well she when i asked for history there was not an incidence in actuality of really having something happen in the home place that was particularly intrusive that wasn't the case what was happening was that she was in a not a young person situation but in a workplace and there was a tyrant, like a boss type person. Not like a boss, it was a boss person. And this person was really critical, way judgmental, incredibly negative, bordering on cruel with a number of people. She felt it very deeply. In fact, she had a history of one of her parents was also in that in that way. Now what are we gonna do? Right? There you have it. The dream is offering it very explicitly. Here comes this figure up the stairs. Now what do we do with that, right? Well, there's three things we always try to do with good reason. We do, I mean, it's it's a lot of pain but there. So, you know, we'll try to distract away from it. We'll just distract, we'll get involved with anything else, put on the next video game, right? <laughs> Watch the next TV show, do something, anything we can do to get away from that feeling. Not a bad thing, useful in ways. Another thing is we can psychologize it. We can go to any psychological system, we can Google, we can do all kinds of things now and try to make sense of it what just happened there what's the explanation what's the story what's the archetypal reference all those kinds of things yeah that's good it is it's helpful gets distance you know but still you haven't really worked with the figures come back usually again and again and again we need something more the third approach that people use of course when it gets severe is we medicalize we use some kind of medicine one sort or the other to try to dissuade You know, that's the beginning of all kinds of substance issues. There's a fourth way. It's the way that I truly favor. It's a way of working with that figure, that nightmarish figure, that intruder that's coming up those stairs. And she did. I invited her first to get her support companions together. You know, who really has your back? Who can you depend on? You know, in addition to the community that you're in now, because she was in a a dream-tending community, in addition to those folks, who else has been a lifelong friend? And she named one or two. And then she named her most, I think, probably dearest beloved companion, which was her pet, her dog, who she just loved. And this dog was so loyal with those eyes, and they just oh okay. So now they're present in the room. They need to be present. That kind of support, that kind of beloved, that kind of protection. I was there too. And so it was very helpful. Now we invite this intruder who is here now you listen to the questions who's visiting now mm-hmm. versus so quickly to what does this mean that's a different question who's visiting now what's happening here instead of hey what does this have to do with me 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 okay. what's happening here so we get a sense of who's visiting. What's happening, and we move from identification, it's got me, I'm possessed, I'm caught by this, I'm in the grip, oh my God, I gotta do something, it's horrible, right? We go from there to relationship. So, what I did, and what I forever do, and I'm gonna encourage people that are listening that are having those kinds of experiences, you first get your support, come back home, bring the figure, put it outside of yourself, doodle it, draw it, do something physical, right? Working clay or just a quick doodle. I'm not a I can't paint with anything. But I can sketch just a quick doodle just to get it from here to there, all right? So that it's out in front. Now that's could be threatening. And then you go back to what children do. (laughs) What children do when those kinds of scary images come up, just like we talked about. They get fascinated. What that means is that figure's out there, it's still scary. It's intimidating, you know, it has all kinds of skills that it's going to use to kind of get us but if we look at it with particularity in other words we really look at it very carefully you know we have a little distance now we have some support and we start to look at it it's just not a big horrible monstrous figure filled with threat it starts to take on a particular form to the extent that we get increasingly particular the threat begins to depotentiate in other words it lessens Then it becomes possible to do this next step which is so important. You can then have the conversation. Hey, you know, and I always start with people first part of it, hey, who are you? But number one, you know, it's really not okay that you are so threatening and you are so interested in some kind of attack. It's not okay. I want you to know that I know that you know that I know that I'm here now. I have my support, and hey stop you know we need that stop that distance Mm. And we can even more particular and i'll just end with this and then you can really listen let the figure have a voice what is the figure wanting to say from the inside out literally i know this is hard to believe but eight times out of ten seven times out of ten when we hear the story that comes from the inside out of that figure it's very revelatory something quite different happens right it's not just this amorphous fear thing, but something other begins to emerge. And why Absolutely.
0: that's it's that listening and that giving it its space, listening to it, giving it mm-hmm. a chance to, again, you're coming to some sort of relationship with it. And just that by itself is transformative. And you're right there. These things are rarely what we think they are when we step back and have that kind of, of initial relationship with it, often there's a transformation right there. We're gonna go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. We'll be right back after a break. Hello, and welcome. I'm so glad you're here for this conversation with Steven Eisenstadt. His newest book is called The Imagination Matrix. I'm just going to give you the subtitle as well because it really explains a lot about the book. How to access the greatest power you have for creativity, connection and purpose. And we're talking here about making friends with or having a relationship with even these scary characters that you may experience in those imaginal worlds especially in dreams so again this has us step out of that fear which by itself is transformative we're no longer subject to the fear we're putting a boundary around that experience we're now moving into some kind of dialogue with this being what what typically comes next in that kind of encounter
1: yeah what comes next for me and for the people that i work with Is that now we're engaged and we're beginning, beginning to develop relationship with a number of figures, the figures that are pleasant, supportive, and the figures that are difficult and challenging, right? There's something foundational that changes in our life, the quality of our life, truly, emotionally, psychologically, and yes, even physiologically. Because what's happening is we are deepening a relationship with a number of these inner figures. Just, in fact, I call that befriending. We're befriending these figures. We're gathering in our world a number of these figures. You know, some people say, "Well, wait, Steve, Dr. Eisenstadt, I mean, these are imaginal, right? They're not real. How could they possibly be real? Well, that's true, right? They are imaginal figures. And yet, you know, there is a sense, there is a sense of their existence in our life. We know because when a figure comes forward, even when eyes are closed and a dream comes, and we don't remember any of the figures in the dream, but we wake up in a really constricted place, we're tight, right? Or we have a a mood that just comes over over us. So we'll track back hey, what happened in the last day or so? There was something in my relationship, something in my friendship, guru, something at work, but nothing. Something visited in the night that generated that mood. So the actuality of the presence of these figures is just so, it is truly just so. And what's happening is we're beginning to befriend, getting to know them, these casts of characters. It's, we we all know it, it happens in inspiration, intuition, you know, something comes forward and we feel something out of the ordinary come through. We're experiencing the existence, something other than the personal I. Or something in addition, in addition to the, our friendship group, or in addition even to what we learned, either in school or at the workplace or in, you know watching a number of mediums where we're, we're hearing and experiencing these figures, and the takeaway here is this: when we get to know and befriend these figures, there is now, as I was sharing earlier, a community that begins to develop. Right? When we bring our awareness and attention to this community, we're not alone. It's not just the single I that's in the world. I mean, at this point in my life, you know, I'm (laughs) literally three days. I'll be flying, believe it or not, to China and where I'm going to do a huge keynote speech. There'll be thousands of people there, right? And the difference is if I go there alone, just me, you know, there's a little trepidation. Of course there is. Or if I'm speaking, which I do, at the United Nations, and I'm there at the podium alone to the you know a world audience. If I go, on the other hand, and I know that it's just not me, but that there's a we, you know. Yes, my dear friends, family support, peer support. Yes, but in addition, support from inside out with these figures. People have called them muses. People have called them guardian angels. I mean, every tradition. Every culture has many, many names, but those—that's what we're developing. We're befriending relationships with these inner companions, and they support us. I'll just—and this with this idea—they support us, and there's a kind of coming home. We're coming home. There's a sense of belonging. It's a homecoming of sort, and when we touch into that quality of belonging, that sense of home, place, depot, then truly we are. Mm-hmm. We are journeying into our authentic purpose in life that we don't sometimes know because we've been so conditioned and so habituated into other people's expectations or the industry one or the other industry's expectations of who we should be and how we should be. Really amazing to be present with these companions of the soul of the psyche because now we're coming home to a certain kind of authenticity and we're not alone.
0: Yeah, we're not alone, and we also have met our fears and just meaning your fears and um, looking them in the eye is, is so powerful because you then realize that I have faced my fears and here I am, I still exist. They didn't obliterate me. So that fear of being overwhelmed by them is I am greater than them. In that perspective to make I a mean, harmony, project, uh, One of the former directors calls make the subject object shift. You're no longer embedded in yourself as this in- individual that doesn't have these resources. Suddenly you're seeing yourself from what in Buddhism is called the witness perspective and you realize there's much more to you than than the obvious. So uh, meeting your fears, turning and having a relationship with these these imaginal figures is is incredibly powerful, empowering and Once you've met your fears and overcome them, then life is a lot less scary. We're gonna take a break right now. We'll be right back after that break. Please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. My guest today is Dr. Steven Eisenstadt. His newest book is called The Imagination Matrix. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back. My guest today is Dr. Stephen Eisenstadt. His newest book is called The Imagination Matrix. What I'm curious about is how these kinds of imaginal journeys relate to spirituality, relate to mystical experiences, relate to the perennial philosophy of connection between our local minds, bodies and hearts with something greater than ourselves. How does this relate to that whole field of experience?
1: Yes, you know, there's so many words that are used for that transcendent experience. Right. People that are in deep meditation will experience themselves in a different quality or dimension of consciousness. People in deep prayer will experience themselves, people that are into A mystical tradition will also experience. There's different ways of making access, for sure, you know, and now in culture of today, so many people are experimenting in so many different ways of touching into different ranges of of consciousness. For me, imagination is an extraordinary dimension of the human experience, right? We're born with it. We're born with the source code that directs us into imagination. It's part of our genetic predisposition, actually, you know, as we talked about with child's play, it's part of how we evolve. Without imagination, you know, you're not going to put things together. You're not going to create. You're not going to figure things out. And all that is part of our destiny. What happens, of course, is we get quickly mm, pushed away from that. We go to school. And some schools, they keep imagination alive for a while. In a number of schools, you're studying for your entrance exams to the university, the pre-course starts in fourth grade, <laughs> you know, it's like, so, you know, just to keep imagination alive and awakened, because there is a quality, a dimension of experience that is different than, there's a calmness that happens when we're in that space, right, particularly when we're journeying in the realms of imagination without a sense of threat or fear, and when that does come up, we have the ways that I describe in the book of attending to those possibilities. And then a curious thing happens. And um, I, this is going to be interesting. One of the things that I discovered along the way, and we just invested two and a half years of research in working with this, that something, something evolves. I call it imaginal intelligence. We're all familiar with intellectual intelligence, IQ. We're familiar with now emotional intelligence, right? Embodied intelligence. There's so many different names and words for this. And yet there is a state of being, and we can measure it now, It's really off the shelf, frankly. And alpha, that brainwave state, gives way. There's a crossover that happens, and we go into theta. And theta then opens up a different way of being in our bodies, emotionally, physiologically, so on. Right? In theta, though, something happens. And there's many, many research projects at this point that demonstrate when we're in theta. Innovation, creativity, those capacities begin to open. Now, it's a, it's different and similar to meditation. With, in, with meditation, which I am part of and dear friends are very much part of, you know, we quiet the mind. We really take the time to figure out ways, either accompanied by music, or different mantra or however, and we quiet ourselves. nothing wrong with that in a world that's so hectic and you know speedy from a busy mind to a quiet mind not bad what we've discovered is that when we're in the imaginal mind when we're journeying in imagination and we actually put on a device that measures the stuff right and that theta goes off the charts it's amazing so it's not a busy mind It's a quiet mind and yet it's an active mind because we are journeying in imagination, in the autonomous imagination, different than guided imagery. We are part of an imagination that has a life of its own and we now are journeying with these figures and noticing what's coming our way, who we're meeting, what landscapes we find ourselves on. Is it esoteric? Is it abstract? Really not at all, honestly. I am, (laughs) as a therapist and a professor, you know, a person that works with people, what matters to me most is to be grounded, rooted in relationship with folks, to really support well-being, and not to travel too far away, so to speak. But this is not, it is not that, because we are on, the we're living in the loam, the foundational loam of the deep imagination, and we're journeying, and we're in discovery. And what we've discovered through first, we did quantitative research to measure, and just seventy percent it went up data activity. Then we did qualitative. We did a big questionnaire, you know, really smart people because I work at a graduate institution where these you know a really intelligent research faculty and so on. So a hundred and I think it was a hundred and sixty something questions that were offered in short answer things. This is a whole huge qualitative research spanning years. And discovered the very same thing that when we are alive and take the time each day or every couple of days to be in imagination to engage and enter that realm of experience, things slow down, we feel our feet on the ground, we navigate more easily, life becomes different.
0: So our actual regular life becomes different as we make time for the imaginal realm. Yeah, and that
1: that's the key, right? To make time. So it takes courage the courage has to do with making the time you know so when i i'll just share my own experience that's the easiest when i wake up in the morning i do listen to dream Uh, so the first thing the dreams that come forward in the night i write them down you know i it's not exhaustive i don't spend a long long time there but i'll take the five ten minutes 15 minutes sometimes to jot down the dreams that i'm remembering Uh, what's important there because i've done this for decades is that if we wake up and stay in that in between place that what's called liminal space right where we don't quickly go to the cell phone how many what percentage of people first when they wake up reach over and look at their cell phone just imagine <laughs> you can't imagine
0: even one percent is too much for me <laughs> all right so the research now
1: shows over 80 percent people first thing they do is reach for the cell phone probably not this audience but that's what people do right so before the busyness of the day right getting the messages off the cell phone before creating the agenda of what i'm going to do next right before answering the demands. All of those are important. They're necessary, it's part of how we are in life. Before that though, in liminal space, waiting for the dreams to arrive and jotting those down, I do that. The next thing that I do is I then take the time and just have a moment of remembrance. I do, I wanna remember the people that have meant a lot to me in my life. And I wanna remember elders and ancestors, I do. And I wanna remember what's difficult In life at the moment i don't want to avoid the pain points right what's difficult in life and i want to really go through a process that i call transmutation i want to hear those pain points and then see what's on the other side that's generative so i'll take some time to do that then the next part is what created that amazing boom increase in imaginal intelligence right just off darts theta activity increase after i do those things For me, it goes like this, and everybody has their own version for sure, for certain. Everybody, when I do all the workshops that I do, and we're just doing some that are coming up in this new year, everybody evolves their own experience, their own expression. For me, it goes like this the call goes out, the gathering happens, the journey begins. So there's a portal. You know, we've discovered the place that the journey begins. Well, this doesn't happen immediately but just it doesn't take long where is that place talked about zuma beach well, back at the very beginning of our conversation everybody has that portal that portal is a place that when we go it's a tree in the park or in the backyard right it's a room or a place in the house or the apartment that feels special the portal that leads to the other world right when i'm sitting there I feel relaxed and something different happens. My curiosity opens, imagination extends and expands that place. call goes out, the gathering, gathering of who? These figures that we're developing relationship with. I call them the soul companions. Those folks, they come forward. Mm -hmm. And then the journey happens. And it is not like an hour necessarily. We're talking in literal clock time, 15 minutes, 20 minutes it's a praxis, right? And we're journeying. And each day, the journey continues. And we're discovering new places. Think of the Wizard of Oz. I mean, it's in all of, it's in story and mythology everywhere, right? Odysseus going to his home place in Ithaca, right? In the Greek myth. You know, Dorothy, right? Alice in Wonderland, right? You're on a journey and you're meeting figures. In fact, in those stories, right? The very figures that were scary in the in kansas those figures become supportive when she gets to know them in the places of the worlds behind the worlds right and they're on that road and they're going to meet those witches they are they're going to meet the hard ones but at the same time she's got her companions that she's journeying with and when you're in that journey you're going to discover new things and of course as that story goes the wizard isn't who she he they think it is right what they discover is something much more deeply felt still and notice in the other story, you follow always usually an animal, so for me, there's always a creature that is present when the call goes out, the gathering happens. If it's not toto, right, it's the white rabbit <laughs> in every tradition there's a, an animal figure that has that animal instinctive sensibility, and I cite four or five other stories that you follow yeah. and you turn mm-hmm.
0: so. As you've been listening here, what is your totem and what is your portal? I want you to take that in your journal now. What is your totem and what is your portal? You probably know what it is, and I want you to just record that now. We're going to a break right now. We'll be right back. Please stay tuned. I'm Dawson Church. You're listening to High Energy Health. We'll be right back after a break. I loved that description of what you personally do and these steps you take, and how powerful it is to begin your day by opening that portal and meeting that totem and opening yourself to all of the gifts that, that flow from there. And I'd love to know what each of us can do each day to figuratively walk around the pier to the other side and open that door for ourselves. I know so many people just live in a box. They live in the the set of assumptions, this worldview that keeps them so limited and really keeps them from their potential. It may seem as though it's adaptive and they're they're keeping their fears at bay, but often it's really just keeping all of these blessings they might otherwise experience at bay. So what can we do, even if we are afraid, to bring this into our, our daily experience?
1: OK, there are a couple things that um, come to mind that are just very applied, very practical, easy to do. And let me share two of them with you. The first is a simple exercise called soft eyes, focused eyes. Okay? Not difficult, but it's a game changer. So I'd invite people that are listening or watching. You know, take these two fingers. Mm-hmm. This way, focused eyes. Yeah, and then you just look about. If you're in the inside place, look about your room. If you're in an outside place in a walk, just focus, and you'll you'll find something that captivates your interest, and you stay with focus. Then take your fingers and open. Yeah, peripheral vision, right? Soft eyes. Whoa, and now we're taking in the. Bigger context, right? We are taking in everything that's moving about. Imagine for a moment taking 15 minutes, just that, and going from focused to soft, and then back to focused, and then notice what begins to awaken, truly, right? Particularly if you're walking in an outside place. Now you can do it inside, but walking in an outside place, a park or a nature scape of any sort. what happens is, oh my goodness, the song of the bird comes in. The wind through the leaves creates the music that was there the whole time. But in the busy mind, we're either counting calories or trying to get there more quickly than we could. Right? What, <laughs> or we're upset. You know, we're thinking about the traumas of the day. You know, that's what we're doing. We're making a list. We're in a purpose and in an intention. This way, we quiet the mind, focus soft. And taking in a bigger picture, and oh, the world comes forward and presents itself to us in all kinds of curious ways. Which is step two: is when that happens, allow curiosity to come forward. Really, truly, get curious. And when you experience that which comes to present, you know, express gratitude. Hey, wonderful, thank you. Just a simple gesture, right? A simple gesture. Let me offer one other one that I did that happened to me. I was in the middle of writing this book, you know, and I was going involved and getting into it and the whole thing. And I was starting to get a little tight deadlines, were you know, the whole thing that happens. And I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do something different. So I decided to take a drive from my house down to in Santa Barbara State Street. How hard is that? I've only done it a thousand times, if not more. I mean, I know the way, believe me. Um and that's who you knows a number of my offices, and you know, the whole thing is there. This time I thought, you know what, I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna follow curiosity. We've all done it in our lives at times. But I just took, as they say, the road less traveled, right? <laughs> <And> so,
0: <laughs> when I got down
1: to the block and well, this is a true story. I didn't take the left that I always take. It's habituated. The car even goes that way without me even, you know. <laughs> I just took it the other direction. And then I started meandering through neighborhoods. Okay, it took another 30 minutes to get there. But oh my goodness, you know, what opened up was extraordinary. Truly, so it was.
0: Open yourself to the extraordinary, there's a world out there through your imagination you can't otherwise access. Thank you so much for these beautiful insights and simple but effective exercises. We'll go out and do them. And thank you, everyone, for committing to your own well-being by being here. See you in the next episode, and thanks ever so much again.